0: Sunday is the first Sunday uh, of the Advent season. And so we're kind of jumping, yeah, there we go. Shout out to Advent. <laughs> um, but if you didn't grow up celebrating Advent, um, it's just a, it's what we call the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, to, to the, uh, this day when we celebrate the arrival of Christ into the world. And the word Advent simply means that. It just means arrival, um, I feel weird preaching behind these candles. I'm gonna stand off to the side here. Um, but It simply means arrival. It's a time of year when we reflect on and place ourselves within this time of waiting that led up to the birth of Christ as we wait, like Sarah said, for the second arrival of Jesus. Uh, And and if you're looking, if Advent isn't something you've done before or or are kind of new to, um, you're looking for more resources, there are lots of devotional guides for Advent, and and one that I would highly recommend that's had a big impact on me, Um, and even on this teaching, is one by a pastor from Atlanta named Louis Giglio. It's called Waiting Here for You. Um, So if you're looking for more Advent resources, that's one I would highly recommend. Um, But like Sarah said at the beginning of this gathering, this first Sunday of Advent is centered around the hope uh, of Jesus. And so, you know, as we begin our teaching this morning, I want to take us back to the beginning of Luke's gospel, back to chapter one. Um, And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, we've got them on the communion tables in the four corners of the room. You can feel free to pick one of those up at any time. Uh, And this reading is on page 499 from those. So I'm going to read uh, Luke 1, 26 through 33, and then we're going to jump into a time of teaching. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So right off the bat, we find ourselves in a, uh, in a very different world than the one we see at the end of the Old Testament, um, it's like when you watch a movie or read a book, right? And, and then you watch the sequel and it's set like years later and, and you, you start it and you're like, this feels different. Maybe if you're watching a movie, the lead char- the character has like an edgy new haircut to show the time has passed. <laughs> the world feels different. You're hearing like common names to people and places that you don't recognize. And it's kind of where we find ourselves here at the beginning of the New Testament. Things aren't quite how we left them. And there's a very good reason for that because it's been 400 years since the end of the Old Testament. When we last left the people of God, they were being ruled by the kingdom of Persia. And since then, um, and they'd been allowed at this time to return to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild um, their city and their communities and, and their culture but since then, Persia has been conquered by Alexander and the Greeks, who have then been conquered by the Romans. And so now Israel is being ruled by this puppet king of the Roman Empire, a man named Herod. But maybe most significantly at this point is that the people of God haven't heard anything from God in 400 years. It's been 400 years of silence. No prophets, no new words, just silence. Silence. And calling this a season feels kind of generous because a lot of times, you know, we refer to like periods of time as seasons and this thing that we're experiencing and this is a season of silence, but that seems generous because literally generations of people have been born, grown up and died, going to the temple, following the commands, hounded down through the law of Moses, being invaded and conquered by empire after empire, all the while calling out to God to send the savior that he promised so long ago but just silence. Can you picture that? Can you imagine growing up, believing this promise of God to not only you, but to all the people around you, and calling out to God for the same thing that your parents called out to God for, and your grandparents called out to God for, and knowing very well that as you are like praying to God and calling out to God for the savior, that your children and grandchildren may still be calling out for the same thing when you're long dead and gone. Can you picture that? I wonder if what started out as a nation united, calling out to God to send the Savior, generation after generation, year after year, dwindled from this tone and this spirit of revival to just a faithful few still calling out. And and another significant shift that's happened since the end of the Old Testament is the dominant religious tone of the day has gone from one of revival in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, of returning to the ways of God, uh, of hope for what God was doing and hope for the future, to one of cold religiosity, with the leaders piling on increasingly specific and pedantic rules and regulations obsessed with and even competing with each other to appear religious and pious, but caring very little to nothing about the heart of God, about true faithfulness to God. And I think this is where we can find ourselves so often is in seasons of silence, in times where we feel like we're calling out to God and hearing nothing, I think we can find ourselves running to one of two places. Either we run away from God entirely sometimes or we run to cold religiosity or legalism is another word you might use for that because this gives us a sense of control. We can control rules and regulations. We can keep a list of rules when everything else feels like it's running out of our control. But I believe the invitation of God to his people at the beginning of the New Testament is the same invitation to us today and that is to hope in the promises of God, to wait on the Lord and not give up hope in the things that he's promised. It's interesting, this isn't the first time the people of God have been in a situation like this. In fact, it's sort of a pattern um, of the history of the people of God. In the book of Exodus, uh, we see something similar. They've been, they're enslaved to, in Egypt, and they've been calling out to God to deliver them for years, for hundreds of years, again. And in Exodus 2.34, we read that God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham. And this starts to set the stage for this like epic story of the deliverance of God for his people from Egypt through this man named Moses. And we don't have time to get that into it today, but <clears throat> one thing I do want to point out is uh, we've got this story that is just this truly spectacular story of how God delivers his people from, from the land of Egypt through a man named Moses. And, and then the writer of Hebrews later on in the New Testament will say that Jesus is a true and better version of Moses. That Moses came to deliver a nation from slavery in Egypt, but Jesus came to deliver the world for generations to come from slavery and from bondage. And so here we find ourselves in Luke on the tail end of 400 years of silence. And I wonder this morning how many of us in this room feel similar to how the people of God felt at the beginning of Luke? How many of us feel like we've been crying out for months or years for an answer and haven't heard anything from God? How many of us are here this morning feeling discouraged or even hopeless because the things that um, we've hoped in, that we've dreamed of, that, that the Lord has promised us we feel like have not come to pass? How many of us are in this place this morning Maybe you've been waiting on a job or on a relationship or the restoration of a relationship. Maybe you're here this morning and you're waiting for a diagnosis or for those test results to come back, for that business to take off, for that graduation or that exam that will let you finally move on to the next step in life that you've been waiting for. Maybe you're waiting on a dream or something that the Lord has promised you, but you feel like you've been waiting and waiting and you've heard nothing, and now you're wondering what next. If that's you this morning, I'm willing to bet you're sitting there surrounded by a lot of other people who are feeling something very similar to what you're feeling. And the beauty of the Advent season is that we don't come to it and get a solution or an answer to the problems that we have, to the things that we're waiting on, that we come to the Advent season not for an answer, but just in quiet hope. That time spent waiting on God is never wasted time. 400 years of silence. And then, in an unlikely, out of the way town to two people no one had ever heard of, on a dark and chaotic night, Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel came to live among his people. And so this morning, wherever you are, whatever you're waiting on, I can promise you this, God is working. And I don't mean this as a dismissal of what you're experiencing right now because waiting on God is often uncertain. It's often even painful at times. But I know that what I have seen time and time again in my life, I know that what I see in the pattern of the people of God throughout history is that when we're waiting, when all hope seems lost, God is working in sometimes the most unlikely ways in the most unexpected places. So Advent is not a solution or an answer, but it's just a promise that 2,000 years ago at just the right time, after 400 years of silence, Jesus came, our hope, the fulfillment of these 400 years of longing and years and years more of the promises of God. So this morning, here's what we're going to do, is we're going to have this time of teaching is going to wrap up. We're actually going to have a pretty short teaching this morning. And it's the next thing we're going to do is put on some quiet music and invite you into a time of reflecting on where it is that you're waiting. What is it that you're waiting for right now? Um, you may have seen a small slip of paper on your seat when you came in, like so, um, Once you've spent some time reflecting on what that thing you're waiting for is and think about those things I listed before or yours may not even be something on that list, just reflect on somewhere that you feel like you're waiting, on somewhere that you feel like you've been calling out to God and the answer is uncertain. Um, And once you've reflected on it, I would invite you to write it down on this piece of paper. There are pens on the communion tables in the four corners of the room if you don't have one. And no one's gonna, these papers aren't for anybody else. Like no one's gonna like look at them or see them So I would just invite you to write down seriously on this piece of paper so that you can have like this tangible expression in your hands of the thing that you're waiting on. And once you've done that, we're going to spend time together um, and individually crying out to God like the people of Israel did 400 years. Um, We have a slide um, with a prayer on it. And so once you've spent some time in reflection, once you've written that down on this piece of paper, I'd invite you to take the piece of paper in your hands and, and pray this prayer to yourself, however works best for you. Uh, you can pray it word for word if you want. You can tweak it. You can use it as an outline. You can throw it out all together, but I would just invite you to pray in this spirit uh, of hope. And, and once we've spent some time doing that, I'm gonna get back up here and, and invite us into a time of communion together. So we'll put some music on, take some time to reflect, to write it down on this piece of paper, and, and then to pray uh, this prayer to yourself. So I just invite you to take that piece of paper and hold it in your hands and I'm just gonna read this prayer over us again um, as another just moment of crying out to God together with the people in this room for the things that we're waiting for, for the things that we're hoping for and remembering the faithfulness of God. I invite you to hold this in your hands um, and just close your eyes as we read this prayer or as I read this prayer. Father, I am here waiting for you. My heart and hands are open to your purposes for my life. Lead me in my waiting. Though my feelings may not quite be there just yet, I believe, I believe that you are working, that you're moving on my behalf right now that you're protecting, defending, preparing, providing. God, give me grace to keep trusting in you in the face of doubt. Anchor my heart in you. God, we believe that you are working all things for our good and for your glory. And so in the name of Jesus, our hope 2,000 years ago and today, amen. So we're going to get ready to take communion, and this is what we're going to do. I'd invite you guys to go ahead and stand up as we get ready, but we're going to do something a little different this morning. Take that piece of paper with you to communion. Um, On the table, you're going to find an empty basket that's got some paper in it already. So I'd invite you to take this paper, this representation of the thing that you're waiting on, the thing that you're hoping for the Lord on, take it with you to the communion table. And as you receive communion, take the piece of paper and place it in the basket. Um, and so, based, so, what we'll be doing is as we receive this memorial that, of Christ coming into the world, uh, this, this memorial that, that Jesus came, we exchange our hopes for the certainty of Christ. We entrust our waiting and our hopes and our desires to the Lord while we receive the certainty. Uh, uh, that Jesus came and that Jesus is going to come again. So I'd invite you to take, bring your piece of paper, come to the tables, deposit it in the bowl. And when you get communion, take it back to your chair and we're going to take it together. And, and as you come back to your chairs, I invite you to go ahead and stand back up. We're going to get ready to do worship in just a second here. Um, and so uh, take communion, take the, uh, take the bread in your hands, and what we're going to do together is we're going to pray a really simple prayer that has been a part of how the church has practiced Advent for literally thousands of years. And we're going to take the bread in our hands and hold it out in front of you, and just repeat this after me. Say, Christ has come. Christ has come. And take the bread. Now take the juice in front of you. And say this after me: say, Christ will come again. Christ will come again. And take the Jews.